Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the bright to my shadow run, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How you doing? Hello, hello. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm tired. I'm so tired. I was up watching Conan last night. It was not, and not, not the uh, red-haired guy, but the destroyer. Oh, or the barbarian. that's never a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> I think mistakes were made. I was up th- too late. We're throwing away a hundred, a hundred years of, uh, you know, social, uh, socially upward movement, but you know, that's not important. <laughs> as always we're going to get started with a quick thank you to our patrons over at patreon you guys help us keep the light on and today you guys help us buy a brand new piece of software because we have a special guest say hello mr rusty zimmerman author extraordinaire Woo! how's it going guys good to be here hey rusty how's it going I'm doing just fine, thanks. I thought I'd take a break from uh, face-shooting my way across the Old West in Red Dead Redemption and uh, come hang out with you guys and talk some geekery for a while. Oh, you're going you're gonna to fit right in here. I've been uh, diving deep into the Red Dead. I've been actively avoiding it for that very same reason. Embrace it. I, I, I'll get it when it's 20 bucks. I'm, I'm broke father. I need, to, I need to invest in my games wisely. <laughs> I feel you there. Well, but before we learn a little bit more about Rusty, uh, I, I did want to wish you a happy Dice Day, Robert. Yes, yes. Happy Dice Day, Jonathan. Today is National Dice Day when you are hearing this. Indeed, indeed, indeed. So, Rusty, we always like to get started with our guests with uh, learning a little bit about what, what we like to call your geek street cred. So uh, why don't you give us a little rundown on, on how it is that you've come to find yourself on our little corner of the Internet. Uh, well, the the main thing I'm known for is my freelance work in the Shadowrun universe, uh, more recently as a fiction writer, but I still dip my toes in and, and jump in on source books if something looks really cool. Uh, I was really happy to get a small chunk of a book that just hit uh, the streets, the E-streets, because the hard copy isn't out yet, but the PDF is available. It's called Better Than Bad, uh, and it's the book that's trying to put the punk back into Shadowrun's cyberpunk. Uh, there's been a, a trend for a long time now in Shadowrun for it to be a game about kind of cold-hearted mercenaries, professional criminals, and like, that's it. And we're trying to remind people that you're supposed to be trying to like stick it to the man and that you're supposed to be, you know, living free as a criminal, not just working for the corpse. So this one was pretty cool. Lots of fun stuff there. So every now and then I, I sneak back into a source book and write a chapter here or there, toss in a couple characters, that sort of thing. Uh, so Shadowrun is probably going to have to be my number one thing that people might know me for. Definitely tops the charts. Well, we're going we're gonna to dive a little bit more into your resume in just a little bit. But as always, we want to get started with our off-the-shelf segment. And Rusty, this is our segment where we talk about all the cool, fun stuff that we've managed to get off of our shelf and onto our either table and or virtual table uh, in regards to movies, video games, etc. Gotcha. Sounds good. Always fun to uh, dive into some geek stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we've got, I've, I know I've got some good stuff this week, uh, Robert, because I, I did manage to go to an entire board game convention, so I, I really geeked out hard. Let's go ahead and get started, though, and uh, we'll start on the other end of the spectrum. Let's start with the movies and TV. Any any movies and TV? I ran the gauntlet. 
<laughs> Thanksgiving Day, I did every episode, every new episode of MST3K, all of them. Wow, in a day? In a day, <laughs> I ran the gauntlet, and, and you managed to, uh, to to not conk out because of the tryptophan. No, no, no. We we fired it up as we were cooking, and we just kept riding it through <laughs> the, wow. the whole day. How, what, it was six episodes or eight. It was six. It was six. Goodness. Well, so that's got to be like 10 to 12 hours of... All the episodes were a little shorter than normal. They're about an hour and 20 minutes or so. So it, it was... It only it only ran about eight, eight and a half hours, I think. But there are some real gems. Mac and me was as good as I remember it being. <laughs> Rusty, have you ever seen Mac and me? Do you know what it's I, about? I have not. No. Oh, oh. oh so, so just in case you're not aware, somehow somebody decided to, to take a, you know, the tried and true, uh, genre of, of the alien, be, uh, befriends a small child and then needs to be saved and, and turn it into a giant two hour McDonald's commercial. Literally. That, Cause that sounds sublime. Yeah. Hence yeah. calling him yeah. Mac. That's why he's Mac. You have to understand this comes no, no, from the he, same time. He, he's a Mac because for... he's a mysterious alien creature. They talk about that in the movie. It has nothing to do with the Big Mac or the McDonald's dance scene that plays about halfway through the movie, which is yeah. real long. Not at all. Not at all. Not and, at all. and this Not is, of course, coming from the same time period as the McDonald's video game. You remember that one? Yes, oh, I what do. What was it called? What was it called? I don't recall, but I do remember that. Oh, internet saved me down. Well, uh, and don't forget, of course, the, the infamous McDonald's porn parody, Special Sauce. <laughs> <laughs> for a family podcast, sir. For a family podcast. He's just saying the title. Uh, okay. I like that. I'm going to have to I'm gonna have to keep that one in my my back pocket. Uh, let's see here. <laughs> oh my Glo- God. Global Global Gladiators. Do you remember that? No. Yeah, it was it was the McDonald's Global Global Gladiators and the big deal was it was from um, the same guy who did all those uh, like Aladdin and stuff like that, all the Disney games. So it had really, really good animation. It was probably terrible. was too bad. <laughs> no, it was actually, it ended up being a really, actually a, a decently fun game, as I recall. I oh. wrote to disbelieve. Because <laughs> I don't think that, I don't think the developers realized they were making a giant commercial. I think that might have gotten stuck onto it afterwards. Oh, like they changed the sprites, like yeah, after exactly. like Super Mario Brothers Two style. Exactly. So there, there was a fun game underneath. I mean, this is also the time period that gave us the Spot game. If you remember the the Seven Eleven or this not Seven Eleven, the Seven Up Spot. Up. Yes. Yeah. yeah, he had his own game too. So and, and Chester that. Cheetah, I believe, had a video game on the yeah. Genesis. These were very, uh, very well, uh, well funded commercial days. And people say the D twenty glut was bad. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so Mac and me, man. I don't even know how to follow up with that. And uh, the the final movie was actually pretty good. Ator, the Fighting Eagle, which was a very, very bad Italian copy of Conan the Barbarian, which is what led me to watch Conan the Barbarian the other day because I wanted nice. to watch the real one. Nice. But, oh, oh, Ator was, was so bad. Uh, but I ran the gauntlet, sir. I ran it. Well, I, too, watched uh, a good old schlocky movie, and I watched Overlord in the theaters. What? Yeah, I know, right? That, like, never happens. So, Overlord, how shall I put this? It's the best Grindhouse film to come out in 2018. (laughs) Which is to say it's the only Grindhouse film to come out in 2018, but it's great. It knows exactly what it is. It's not trying to be anything except for uh, Nazi zombies getting shot by by the hero. It's got the proper proper combination of spooky and over-the-top. I mean, it it was fun. It was super fun. I had a smile on my face the whole time I was watching it. Yeah, it's World War II Nazi zombies, man. Like, you, you really can't go wrong. 
Rusty, have you seen anything in the theaters or anything interesting? Uh, oh, we were talking before the show about She-Ra. Yeah, this this week I had this surreal experience of uh, shotgunning the new She-Ra on Netflix uh, and then mixing it in with uh, the Coen Brothers' Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Wow! Also on Netflix. Wow! Because, as it turns out, uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs is actually like a series of shorts. It's not like one 90-minute or two-hour movie. It's it's It feels to me like a series of short films. So I would kind of watch like one of those almost like an episode in a miniseries. And then my wife would get home from work and we'd hang out and watch some She-Ra. Uh, and then, you know, she'd go to bed or whatever. I'd hang out and watch some more Buster Scruggs. And, and, and how uh, is it? I'm a big Coen yeah. Brothers fan, so I, I, I'm curious to hear what you think of it. I definitely liked some of the kind of short stories better than others. Uh, there was, to me, a very dissonant feeling from one story to the next, uh, and that some had, you know, the kind of surreal, dark humor going. Uh, some had kind of supernatural overtones, uh, and some didn't. Some were just kind of played straight as just like, this is a short kind of tragedy set in the Old West. Uh, like, that was kind of the only thing that they had in common. Uh, there might be some Easter egg character that was in all of them or whatever, but in that I noticed there was no other really common thread from one story to the next. Uh, so it was definitely fascinating as weird and kind of quirky and sometimes melancholy and sometimes hilarious as you would expect from a Coen Brothers flick. So, uh, so yeah, it was a good time. And uh, She-Ra was pretty awesome, just unrelentingly positive um, and, and uplifting and all about friendship. And like, I, the whole time we were watching it, I was like, yeah, like this would be really cool for a little kid that needs to learn some important lessons about the nature of friendship and also being warned away about toxic relationships and who also likes to like wave around a stick and pretend it's a sword, you know, but like it had some cool stuff going on with, uh, you know, male characters that were warm and affectionate and friendly and female characters that were strong and fierce and serious, you know, and just kind of messing with all the gender role assumptions had a, a good mix of like body types and ethnicities to make it clear that like everybody's welcome as a fan. Uh, there was some real humor to it. And so you know, it really impressed me. You know, Rusty. Just good stuff, man. We liked it. We liked it. What's that? You know, really? Yeah. Uh, when I was watching with my daughter, uh, I, I, uh, I went down a Wikipedia spiral on she because I, I knew nothing about it. Right. And I, it surprised me how like faithful to the original show they were, <laughs> you know, like a yeah. lot of the, a lot of the stuff. I mean, they, they, they built on it and, you know, they put more nuance and, and layers and emotional stuff on this old, you know, cruddy eighties TV show. But like a lot of that stuff was just like, like the fact that she worked for the bad guys for quite a while before she, you know, she joins the rebels. That's like all out of the original show. And of course they, you know, deal with that in like one episode and never really bring it up all that much in the original show from what I understand. But in this one, it was like a very core part of the character and they all worked that in very, very well. I was actually really surprised how authentic it felt, even though, you know, we're talking about people with magic swords and, and a guy named Bo with a W not just right. a, a B O. <laughs> yeah. 
was uh, we we liked it, and it was it was smart. You know, yeah. well, well animated, great voice acted, but you know, a, a ton of just really clever things that were snuck in there that meant you kind of had to watch to get it all. You know, yeah. uh, to appreciate it all at least. You know, so yeah, we we liked it, and it was the the unrelenting slug of positivity that we needed to to counterbalance yes. real life and. Red Dead Redemption and the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, and you know, so yeah, it was a great counterbalance of just something, you know, bright and happy and positive. So, uh, have yeah, you guys watched Steven like Universe it. yet? No, I've heard nothing but good things about it, and I actually, I heard comparisons between Shira and Steven Universe, and I was using those as arguments to tell a buddy to watch Shira because he's a huge Steven Universe fan, and I was like, well, some people are making favorable comparisons. And he was like, all right, cool. Me and my daughter will check it out now. You know, so yeah, I've, I've heard, I've heard some of those kind of similarities and, and recurring themes of, you know, acceptance and inclusivity and, and really awesome stuff like that. And occasionally uh, but, and, you go fight alien creatures too. Cause that's always fun. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> always and go wave around your sword. Well, you know, and it just as a reminder that inclusion or inclusion is, is important. I, I had a really brief reminder that, uh, I, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts and often the kids will be in the car. And so I was listening to a podcast called board game blitz and the, uh, hosts are all gals. And my daughter was in the back of the car and she just pipes up out of sudden out of nowhere. And she never really comments on, on the podcast. She just kind of listens. And she says, you know, I really like this show, dad. Can you make sure to always play it for me? And I said, why is that? And, and she says, well, because they're girls and their opinions match mine, and that's kind of neat. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's that's what it's all about. Yeah, it was a it was a good good old life reminder that inclusion really is important, and it's uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that the shows are doing it so well. Yeah, absolutely. I am 100% anti gatekeeper, um, and I've I've actually written people into Shadowrun novels to make them feel better, like if they have a shitty experience in the gaming community, and if, if geeks are, are pooping on them, then like I, I've reached out and, and been like, hey, would this make you feel better? All right, cool. And like there'll be a B-plot in a story that I'm writing, and I'm like, okay, now, next time somebody gives you crap, uh, you can say that your character is canon and, and they are not, right? And like, like, who's the real geek now, right? And I, like, I'm like, yeah. You know, of course, I you know, lash out angrily on Twitter like everybody else. But, you know, if we can do something small like that to make a geek realize that not all geeks are awful and that if they want to be a geek, they can be a geek. So, like, sorry, somebody at your game store was crappy to you, but please understand that that's, that's not who we're supposed to be. We're trying to get you know, a good balance going. I'm in a, an actual play, live streaming on Twitch right now for a Starfinder game. And when they asked me to play on it, I was like, sure, but only if my wife can play also. Uh, because she also likes this game. She also wants to learn it. Uh, it is new to both of us, so it's not like I'm an expert compared to her. I've got no cred in the Starfinder community just yet so like if you let her play too then i'm in and he was like all right just so you know i was asking you 
and I was going to try and get you to then ask her because we also want some gender parity in the group. So I was basically only asking you to get to your wife and I'm like, awesome. Everybody wins. So yeah, it's like, let's, you know, show, show that girls are in the hobby, show that LGBT people exist. Like we are real. We are here. We like to roll dice and tell stories and yeah, man, let's do this. Let everybody in the more, the merrier. It always feels best and most realistic when it mirrors reality. Absolutely. I had my own. Oh wait, are you doing movies? I don't want to. I don't want to step all over your movies because I'm about to move into RPGs. Yeah, I rewatched Broken Arrow with my wife. She'd never seen it before. Wait, that the one with Christian Slater? Yeah, Christian Slater and uh, yeah, like John Travolta. John right? Travolta <laughs> and John Travolta yeah. is like in full Christmas ham mode. He's got this weird way he holds the cigarette. I'd forgotten how absolutely pleasant that movie yeah. is. It's terrible. Yeah. Make no mistake, it's bad, but it's so awesome. Uh, and then we watched Ant Man and the Lost with the kids, which was so much fun. Uh, we haven't we haven't caught that one yet. We're uh, about half a generation behind on the new new Marvel flicks. We haven't seen Deadpool two. We haven't seen Ant Man and the Wasp. Yeah, we're we're lagging. We're slacking. Ant Man and the Wasp is just fun. Like, there's no other way to put it. This is the first, the same as the first Ant Man movie. It's just plain fun. Yeah, it came up in our gaming group on Saturday, and our buddy said that it was a toss up for him which he thought was a better movie between Ant Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yeah, uh, you know, that, that's fair. That doesn't there, happen real often. There's good know. parody in between them, and they don't, how should I put this, they don't retread the same jokes, which is so often the, the comedy error that people make. Uh, instead, they re, they, they do retread the, the characterizations so that characters feel the same, uh, but they utilize them in new and interesting ways to make the jokes feel fresh. Right, so they're consistent but not repetitive. Exactly, exactly. Nice. Yeah, uh, it is definitely much like Steven Universe. It's something I've heard nothing but ringing endorsements for. Uh, we just haven't haven't gotten around to it. We're waiting on Netflix, I guess. I hear you there. I hear you there. It's coming soon. All right, so transition us into RPGs, Robert. This oh, is going to be well, an easy okay. one for me. I haven't had a chance to play anything. There you well, go. Well, I know, because I invite, I invited you to play the one that I'm, I'm starting to run, and, and you can come. <laughs> and I know. I really want to. I really want to. It's just Friday nights are very difficult because it's a family night. Yeah, I know. Well, it's the, it's the only night we got. But anyway, we, we fired up uh, our first session, which was just making characters mainly and chatting of uh, Tales from the Loop. But I got I got the fun experience. So one of my players recently got married. It was actually the wedding I came out to visit you for, Jonathan. And, uh, you know, she's been watching her husband now play these games and she's like, I want in. So I've got, you know, I've got another married couple in, in the game. And I'm like, yes, good, good. More married couples in games. Yes. I don't know. I, I, I like it. And I think it's really cool that uh, this is like her first role playing game. And, and you know, it, it's it's like the, it's like that Twitter conversation, you know, where the, the random guy gets the random tweet. And it's 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 like, do you want to play D&D? It's like you got the wrong number. Who is this? It's like the guy who's about to take you on a new magical adventure, my friend. <laughs> Yeah, that's that. I, I'm I'm getting the feels about that, and I'm like, yes, this is good. Yes, but I'm having yeah. a good time. We we made up a, a weird little crew of uh, of twelve year olds that go to a junior high. We are uh, we we shifted the scene to Oregon, and I I kind of randomly picked a town out here to just set it in because we've got some fun characters. The the crew is a little eclectic, so I was telling you about a little bit of a bit of them, but I, I won't bore everybody because I'm sure I'll I'll be talking about this as we continue. But yeah, yeah, it's it's good time. Tales from the Loop is fun. It's like just getting into system, like the whole, man. Well, we haven't even played it yet, but just sort of like, because we're all, you know, 30-somethings, pushing 40 on this end. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I went right over that one last year. 
Yeah, but like, you know, like remembering childhood and like, you know, like I went back because I, I decided to set it during the summer of 1984. So just going back to like 1983 and 1984 and what movies came out and like I found a website that had the TV schedules for because there were only three networks, you know, it was pretty easy to write down. You know, I'm just like going like, oh, my gosh, this is like the heyday of Knight Rider and Magnum P.I. And <laughs> so, so did nice. you have cable or did you have an antenna? I had an antenna, man. Yeah, so did I. So we, you know, we lived at the top of a hill and in San Diego, all of, well, three of the, no, two of the three uh, TV stations had their antennas uh, down in Mexico. Uh, which is, you know, because San Diego is a border town because you could have a, a stronger signal that way. They had different laws. I remember if you wanted to get the, the NBC affiliate, you had to turn the antenna. And so you turn this giant knob and then you'd hear this whirring noise up on the roof as the antenna slowly, slowly, slowly turned in the direction of the antenna. Uh, that you were trying to pick up and then you'd have to switch it back down to the southbound to to pick up like fox and and uh, cbs and abc <laughs> yeah it was crazy it was crazy God, things were so analog i was trying to explain to my daughter the other day how i turned on the tv when i was a child and i'm like yeah we had a knob and she's like what's a knob it's like this thing you'd grab and you'd pull out and she's like oh the cigarette lighter in your car I'm like well no it didn't come out <laughs> yeah I, I i had to try and uh, you know show my kids what vhs and UHF were. It was a very difficult conversation. They didn't even understand yeah. the concept of channels. <laughs> so did, was there a guide, Dad? No, no guide. Well, there was a guide, but you had to buy it every week at, uh, at the grocery store, yeah. the food basket. You'd go in and get the, the guide. Yeah, good times, good times. Yeah, good time. taking it back, taking it back. <laughs> well, good stuff. I'm going to see if I can join Robert, at least for, like, a, like a, a guest character in a session or two. We'll see, we'll see. I'm, I'm telling you, they made up that kid, Eric, who's a, who's a great ahead of him and a year younger than him. You know, he'd be, he wants to join the gang. He right. desperately wants to join the gang. I'm just saying, inspiration. So he's like Rudy in uh, in Monster Squad. Y- yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's a little. Yeah. He's. He's. A, yeah. Yeah. Kind of like that. Kind of like that. All right. Good. Good. You've got your '80s tropes. I'm. 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 I'm liking it. I'm liking it. <laughs> uh, is that it for RPGs? That that is it for me. All right. Well, let's transition. Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. No. 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 We haven't asked our guests. We haven't asked our guests. Oh, yes. Good point. True. Hold on. But you are a game designer. And you write these things. God, and God, I know from yeah, owning sure. a shop, I never actually got to play anything. Did you actually play anything? Uh, nothing new and, and not on the RPG front. We did play uh, a card game that was new to everyone but me. Uh, and it's a like a 20-year-old game called Shadow Fist. Are you guys familiar with the, the RPG feng shui? Yes. <laughs> okay. Shadow Fist is their card game. Like they yes. started like the same company, then they split off and whatever. Uh, my mission this year at Origins, which was my it was my first Origins, I wasn't sure what I was doing um, or what my options would be, stuff like that. So I was like, I'm just gonna find stuff that I haven't played before, and I'm gonna sign up for for those things, things I just haven't done. So I saw that they were doing a new players welcome tournament for Shadow Fist. All I knew about Shadow Fist. Was was that I was like, oh yeah, that's the card game from Feng Shui or vice versa. Uh, so I jumped in and the guys were all super cool. Uh, it is a complicated mess for a brand new player to try to pick up in a tournament. Like I think they lied when they said new players should be there. Um, <laughs> but like it was all just mechanics of the game more than the community because the community was awesome. Uh, it was actually a draft format.
format for this card game tournament. And I'm like, I don't know what any of this means. Uh, I'm picking everything I see for this one faction that I like. I know I like the faction from the card game. That's it, you know. But, like, everybody was super patient and cool, and, and the tournament was great. As soon as the tournament was over, like, everybody started handing me cards. They were like, yeah, here's all this, the Ascended stuff that I drafted. Like, sorry, I didn't know that, that you were new when I was trying to deck block you by taking your good stuff. Oh, that's you know, cool. Like, yeah, but, like, everybody's giving me stuff. Uh, I talked to the, the owner of the company, who was the guy, like, running the tournament and stuff, and he ended up giving me a bunch of stuff. Like, he gave me an old starter deck that's, like, two decks in one. Just, like, everyone's just giving me extra stuff. They're like, here you go, buddy. Like, welcome to the game. So, in the middle of all that awesomeness, I bought, like, their official starter pack, which is, like, four pre-made decks and... And like some like fold out poster game mats with like rule summaries on them and stuff. So it's like four of those mats, four pre-made decks, a rule book. And then just nobody in my group was interested from like origins until now. They were like, oh, but I just kickstarted this on, you know, let's let's play this new game instead. Or, you know, like like I just wasn't able to get this into the rotation. But I brought it this last week. We were able to, to get in a game. Uh, I actually didn't play. I sat and like rode shotgun with the rule books while the four of them uh, just picked the starter deck. And, and I was kind of walking everybody through it. And like, yeah, it was a good time, though. Uh, we had fun. It's a neat game. Uh, what I like about it that's interesting is is it's designed for like asymmetrical gameplay. They're like, you can play with two players, but psh, that's lame. Uh, and like even the tournament that I played in Origins was a three-player, you know, we were set up at three players per table. So there's this weird, uh, whoever goes in front, everybody dogpiles. And it's a game that's really, really built around like last-minute comebacks. And that was actually what we had in this game. Like all through this game, my wife was like playing it quiet and just being real defensive and not doing much. And then she came in and in the last round, you know, the two Titans of the game had been going at it. And like, she came in and just finished one of them off. And, and that got her like the fifth thing that she needed and she won. So it was just all about like dramatic comebacks, kind of the dark horse winning in a <laughs> swirling melee. And uh, we had a crew of junkyard boys and that's their official title, driving a big-ass car, which is its official title, uh, against, I believe they were called Howling Undead, that had an additional template applied that made them martial artist vampire Howling Undead. <laughs> um, <laughs> that were opposed by my wife's multiple units of temple guardians. And then she had one student that was like a Shaolin apprentice. And that guy's special ability is that if the location that he's at gets wrecked, then you sacrifice the Shaolin apprentice to bring in a much more expensive Kung Fu hero at a big discount. And she's like, oh, this poor little guy dies. And I'm like, but what if instead it's them no longer being an apprentice and like growing into the much bigger guy. And then she was like, oh, this guy's awesome. Like, like it just <laughs> turned, turned that frown upside down. You know, but it's it's just a great game because all the chaos that's in Feng Shui, the Hong Kong action movie RPG, you're going to run into in this card game. So it's just messed up, twisted factions that should not be, you know, all waging their goofy, over-the-top war. Yeah, it's a good and, time. And you so just don't worry fun. about it. It's just time travel shenanigans. Just, just Yeah, exactly. It. It's time travel. It's alternate realities. It's 
it's all kinds of stuff. But yeah, so it was cool that, that we finally, you know, opened the plastic on that and, and had a good time with it. Nice. And it's, it's cool that the community is letting you in too. Yeah. It was just a super cool, you know, batch of dudes. I was like eight to 10 guys, you know, at that tournament. And then a second one that I went to, um, that were, you know, you could tell, you know, hardcore players knew their stuff, you know, how card gamers get, you know, as soon as they catch a glimpse of a certain card, they groan cause they know what it does. They know they just lost whatever. <laughs> right. Like, you know, they had that going for them. And like, I absolutely did not. I was like, everything in this game looks awesome. So I don't know what actually is awesome. Right. Like that's the danger of good artwork and every unit having a badass name and stuff. <laughs> it's like, I don't know what anything does. I think it's all cool, you know, but like they were super patient with me, but then also like, cause just super welcoming and stuff. And that was, that was awesome. So I'm glad that, uh, able to get my group on board and, uh, we're starting to shop around for some, some holiday sales to, uh, to maybe kind of do our own little like miniature draft type of thing. We like to have a steady, uh, shelf of pickup games on tap for if somebody can't make it to our regular weekly game we have several options that we can grab depending on who's missing we have a, a whole you know series of different games we can we can drop in so we're thinking this one's going to be folded into that rotation so uh so yeah it was a resounding success and i can officially say that my first origins went well yeah, Origins is a cool show. I was at uh, this yeah. year's Origins as well. I had a great time. I keep calling it Diet Gen Con. Uh, every <laughs> gaming every gaming convention I go to, I compare to Gen Con because Gen Con is the one that I've been going to, I just realized this year, for about 20 years now. That's a terrible comparison to make. It's like if you only go to the Super Bowl every year, right? Then you're like, this high school football game sucks, right? Like, but, you know, I got so used to the big show. But, like, Origins had, like, everything I love about Gen Con, but it was way smaller. And, like, all the good food was in exactly one place, right? Like, that that market right across the street. Oh, yeah. That's that, good. You know, and I was just like, this was awesome. Like, this was magical, dude. And then if you head, so, if you uh, head across, uh, across the street, there's actually some really good eateries about uh, three or four blocks away. No, that's too far. I'm not doing that. <laughs> no, I, I've got that. What was it? it was a North Market? Was it we call it? But it was just like this big like market thing uh, that also had like fresh produce and and stuff like that. But there was uh, I don't know eight or ten different restaurants in it, and and most of them were things I can't get at home. Like we don't have like a regular Vietnamese joint in our rotation here in Dallas. Like they exist, but it's not. You, you know, close enough that we go there all the time. So I love going on vacation and getting stuff that I don't get at home. Um, so yeah, like that, that market was just great at origins. And the fact it was literally where we were parking our car every day, you know, there was the same like parking lot right there. It was, it was great. So yeah, I loved origins. Uh, it was a good time. Gen Con still has my heart, but like, like origins is definitely in the running. Uh, if I, if I have to decide between one or the other, I don't, I don't know that the Gen Con's going to win so we'll see we'll see <laughs> there you go well i was actually just up in dallas this last weekend because i was at bgg con and i actually had a card game experience as well because i have played the living daylights out of Keyforge. yes by the way jonathan do i need to go find the list uh yeah you're gonna need it because you're gonna add and <sighs> subtract a couple things well i'm not gonna add it oh actually i see something on okay i'll go get the list go on sir go on 
All right. Sorry, Rusty. We we uh, no we, we have a we have a bet going back to the beginning of the year that Jonathan would play a certain percentage of his shelf of opportunity, gotcha. and uh, so we got to keep track of it because this is this is this is how we we maintain the bet. <laughs> Some people call it the shelf of opportunity. I call it my shame pile. Stay positive. It's the shelf of opportunity because you always have a new opportunity to play something awesome. That is true. Well, KeyForge is awesome, uh, and if you're not familiar with KeyForge, that is of course the the new game from Fantasy Flight and. Every deck is unique. They actually use a computer algorithm to determine what goes in. There's six different factions. You get three factions per deck. Decks cost 10 bucks, and it, it, it's a good, fast card game with a lot of push and pull, and I had a blast with it. It is super, super fun. And the randomness of the decks is awesome because you'll go and you'll plunk your 10 bucks down and you'll open up your, your deck take a look at the wacky name that's associated with it and then just start going through the cards to see what, what kind of synergies you may or may not find it's it's a great game i was having a blast with it i'll have to i'll have to check your ear off but maybe because my, my buddy is kind of interested in doing that so maybe maybe we could do a deep dive of that later if i manage to pull the trigger on that yeah you guys should go half season on a starter box starter box are 40 bucks you get two uh two decks that are the same in every starter box and then you also get two random decks in there as well so Mm -hmm. it gives you a a balanced situation to learn the game and then it also gives you you know the randomness that that is the game there's a handicapping system so if you find decks that are are you know not necessarily um balanced against each other there is a way to handicap yourself so that you can uh make it work a little bit better and uh yeah i did i found it to be a super fun experience my my buddy and i uh ended up with uh two decks each and we were just mixing and matching and having a blast all right and i'm gonna i'm gonna machine gun through some of this stuff because we've talked about some of it and some of it's it's newer Uh, i had a chance to play uh, a ton of fireball island recently I will be taking that off the list. Yeah, got got uh, Fireball Island uh, Kickstarter in, uh, set it up, played it with the kids, played it with some adults. It's kind of interesting. Playing with the kids is fun uh, for for some slightly different reason because we are all sitting down and we're having a blast and we're laughing and there's there's a good time. Uh, and then you play it with adults and you're all laughing too, but it becomes a cutthroat, dirty, terrible place. <laughs> Like you've never seen adults get into a game where you can actually like try and tap a marble and make it hit somebody. And it just gets very, very tense and people are making side bets and, and it just gets kind of cutthroat. And then when things happen, everybody just starts either cheering or or booing or any number of things. It's kind of (laughs) funny. Nice. I had a chance to sit down with the kids and also we uh, started a campaign of stuffed fables. Have you heard of this one? No. So the game uh, in the game, uh, you're playing stuffies, uh, which are these little uh, stuffed animals, and your health is actually tracked by how much stuffing you have. Basically, each scenario, instead of putting out a board or constructing a board out of tiles, each scenario is presented to you in the pages of a giant storybook. And so you open the page, and on one side is the map, and on the other side is the story and the actions that are happening, and you basically start working through what what is essentially a fable. And it's really super charming. It looks beautiful, and it's it's a lot of fun. It's a very engaging game. That looks fun. That's by Plaid Hat, I'm seeing. Yes. And then uh, at BGG, I had a chance to try a bunch of stuff. Um, I tried a game called Lady and the Tiger, and this is kind of interesting. It's a, it's a card game, and with the components that come in the game, you can actually play five different games with it. They have uh, instructions for five different games. They, um, they vary from... 
uh, movement and replacement style game where you've got a grid of cards and then you're trying to move them around to move your uh, gems to the end uh, to a more traditional kind of card game where you you have actions and you're trying to uh, beat an opponent. It's kind of interesting that they've get they're getting five games out of the same core components and the artwork in this game is just stunning, just gorgeous. So what's Werewords? So Werewords is One Night Ultimate Werewolf with a vocabulary guessing game attached to it. So, one of those like, learning games? No, no, not at all. It totally works. It was actually very engaging and very fun. It's just like One Night Ultimate Werewolf in that there's a werewolf. The werewolf is hidden. Nobody knows who they are. Uh, they're hidden amongst the normal people. The normal people are basically trying to guess a code word uh, that only a, a player called the Seer knows. And the Seer is trying to gently guide people towards the, the code word, but while at the same time not giving away too much because you're trying to determine who amongst you is the werewolf. If the villagers can correctly identify the werewolf, they win. If the werewolf can ide- correctly identify the Seer, the werewolf wins. So it's an it's a interesting social dynamic game. That's cool. Yeah, it's kind of neat because what they do is uh, they'll, you'll, you'll put up a, a word and then you will start to slowly um, ask basically 20 questions uh, of a character called the mayor. And the mayor basically knows what the word is and he will answer yes or no uh, based on your questions uh, or, you know, kind of close. That way you have to kind of slowly hone in on the word and you're timed. And if you, you, you have a very limited amount of time, it's like two to three minutes around and you have to figure it all out before the end of time or else you uh bad things happen nice what else did you play jonathan also played a game called memoir is it a zombie game <laughs> no it's a it's a game it's basically how should i put this it's memory with deeper rules <laughs> okay which, which makes which makes no sense like you're thinking to yourself oh well this game won't be fun you you dial out a bunch of cards in a, a grid format and you're basically trying to make matches and you're making matches by saying uh, the last card that was revealed will either have one of two things on it. It'll have a combination of an animal in the forefront and a, an environment in the background. And so the next card that you flip over has to match either the environment or the animal. And so it becomes a, it's pretty much a standard game of memory at that point, except that you are going around in long runs trying to remember the entire grid. And when you do it with adults, it starts to get very, very tense. And there starts to be a psychological game as people try and make each other second guess what they're about to hit. And uh, it, it worked a lot better than it should have. Like on paper, this game should not have been nearly as engaging as it was. And in reality, it was some of the most fun we had at the con. We laughed so hard. <laughs> nice. It's a, just, it's like Bob Ross. It just kind of sneaks in there. <laughs> All right. Let's finish this up. Voodoo. Voodoo is a ridiculous card game uh, where you pass a voodoo doll around a table. And when you get the voodoo doll, it's your turn. And you are casting curses on other players at the table. And these curses make you do ridiculous things. Like I got cursed and I had to keep my forehead on the table at all times. So then I had to play the rest of the game with my forehead against the table. And then you're trying to basically navigate through the curses, remembering to do all of them. And near the end of the game, it gets very complicated. So uh, I had a series of curses where I had to stand on one foot, hop in place, 
circle around my chair, croak like a frog, do a bunch of other stuff. And if you forget to do any of those things, then the other person can call you out on it and you get negative points and they get positive points. And it's first one to uh, 11 points wins. It's a very light, very social game. Uh, It's super fun. I played it with the kids and the kids absolutely adored it. They thought it was hysterical. I like that one. It reminds me of a game I used to play called Elixir way, way back. It's a fantasy flight game. I don't think it's in print anymore. Night before last, uh, Dale and company came over, and Dale, Jared, Cohen, and I sat down, and we blasted through the first Time Stories game. And Hmm. what a blast it was. That game is awesome. I've heard good things. And it's got my favorite MacGuffin, which is time travel. Yeah. Rusty, have you heard of Time Stories? I have not. Okay, so in, in Time Stories... Uh, think of it as Quantum Leap, the board game with a detective spin. So you guys are in the future. You have uh, you have time travel at your disposal and bad guys who um, we don't know very much about at this point have gone back in time and are creating time rifts. So you jump into your time machine and your consciousness is transported into a vessel, which is just some random person that happens to be in the area where the time rift is going to open up. And then you have to solve the mystery of how the time rift is is opening and then try and stop it so we played the the one that comes in the box which is asylum and uh you're basically transported into a french insane asylum in the 1920s and you all play patience which means that you all have these weird um rules that prevent you from doing certain things in the game because you're insane Hmm. nice and then you have some fun yeah it's kind of part escape room part scooby-doo detective mystery part time travel uh it was it was super super fun and if you fail the first time around you could basically reset everything because you can go back in time to try and patch it up and you want to go back as few times as possible because that affects your final score but it, it gets this really weird how should i put this like there's this acceleration to the the activity because the first time you go through you're just kind of bumbling around and you don't know what to do because you're you're discovering the mystery and the second time you go back you're like okay i know i need this this and this this is what i've solved so far so you start racing through the game trying to trying to you know beat the clock so to speak and it gets really interesting and there are some devilishly difficult puzzles and then uh i also picked up battlestar galactica the starship battles game oh i'd heard that had come out how is it it's so good so use the classic or the revamp well it's it's a revamp revamp universe nice you get two cylon raiders and two mark four vipers nice and so basically it it takes the the engine this is from the company that made wings of glory and wings of glory of course is the engine that powers x-wing right it's kind of interesting because this is now two iterations back two iterations down and they've they've introduced some interesting elements so you know the stands that the ships sit on in x-wing Mm-hmm. Okay, in Battlestar Galactica, you actually have four distinct altitudes that you can fly. So you can actually uh, jump over and under the, the bullets and stuff that are coming at you. Oh, cool. cool. Uh, additionally, because uh, in the Battlestar Galactica reboot, if you remember, um, uh, they're in space and space has no gravity. That means momentum is important. And you can actually do stuff like swing around and be flying in one direction while firing behind you or firing sideways and strafing. They've incorporated that mechanic into the game. Oh, that's cool. So you I like can, that. You can slip your ship sideways, and that, that opens up all kinds of interesting and uh, new firing arcs. It's, it's, it's a brain burner. I loved it. I had so much fun with it. And the ships are beautiful. 
Yeah, that sounds awesome. I might, I, I should say, I might check that out, but I probably shouldn't because I've got enough X-wing on Armada that I don't play often enough. Oh, that, no. that getting a new one would uh, would be a bad idea. But I'm in the same. It does boat. sound cool. Uh, I I'll tell you what, I like this rule set better than X-wing uh, because there's there's some more there's some more to contemplate with the altitude and the the momentum. Uh, plus, with the the templates, the way they work, you can actually slip your ship sideways while flying forward and all kinds of fun. Nice. Stuff. I just said the thing with X-Wing to me is it, it turned too much into a, a grind of gimmicky special abilities and how they work together over time. It just you, just too much of go get this one upgrade card from this one pack and apply it to this particular pilot on this one ship and add this other upgrade. And then suddenly all your dice ever rolled are critical hits. And like that, that became the game, you know, instead of the basics of just like positioning and shooting and the type of ship mattering. And, you know, so I just kind of got burnt out on it, but uh, yeah, that addition of altitudes and stuff sounds like it could be a really good time. Yeah. I'm, I'm having a blast with it and it, all that's out right now is the starter set. So everything is nice and balanced and there's no, you know, uh, no meta to chase. You're just, you're playing the game and that's, that's fun. Nice. Are they going to add it in the capital ships or is it just going to be the fighters? So far it's just uh, fighters and support ships that have been uh, announced at, uh, I did see at Essen they had a, a uh, couple of uh, the different ships, like the little Dreadus radar ship from the mm-hmm. uh, uh, from the Galactica and then the Cylons are getting a heavy raider which has a, a different gun component and certainly some different maneuverability nice yeah, it seems like they've got a much shallower pool of ships to pull from than, than Star Wars especially with the extended universe and then the prequels and now the new ones uh, part of it was just ship bloat in, in X-Wing also so I wonder if this might stay a little more pure in that way, you know, by only having a handful of ship options that might kind of help with that a little bit. So yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm having a great time with it. It's super cool. And that, that's all I see on your list, Jonathan. Are you, are you... That's it. I mean, like there were a bunch of other games that I played, but we've talked about them on the show before. So I didn't see any, any reason to kind of revisit those. Going to B, BGG is fun. BGG is a great con. I had a, I had a blast. It's a total players con, you know, you, you go and you play games. All right. Well, uh, one, one last thing before we wrapped up, uh, you weren't here, Jonathan, but, uh, we were talking a little bit about, uh, Jurassic world evolution and I, I got rusty to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, it is my, my wife's latest addition to her Christmas gift list, uh, because it sounds right up her alley. Uh, so yeah, it, it is snagged for her as of, you know, about halfway through this gut call. <laughs> What's great about it is it's totally like, it's the best Jurassic park experience you can have like it's jurassic park i'm so annoyed jonathan because I, I rent it from the library because i uh i i they have it at the library why would i buy it and i've got to wait i'm sixth down on the list right now and i'm like oh maybe i should just buy it <laughs> it sucks well, it's cyber Monday. Yeah. it might still be cheap yeah 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 it was it was pretty big time on sale it was i think 21 bucks just oh, now man, on steam great. that's great that's so, a good yeah. price for that yeah that's why i pulled the trigger on it right now i'm like Yep, no, that's that's on the list. Let's make the cut. <laughs> Pro tip: If you want to have some fun, get your park nice and busy, and you're definitely going to want to, uh, you know, copy your save game before you do this. Get your park nice and busy. Starve the T Rexes for a little while, and then just simply remove a wall <laughs> and just wait. Yeah, then you just sounds you just, like you remove the wall and then just let the magic happen. 
Let, yeah. let nature take its course. That's yeah. right. Just, That's right. Nature see, finds a way. See what happens. <laughs> it's cool. Life. Life. Uh, yeah, life. life. <laughs> <laughs> this 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 episode had a distinct lack of gold bloom. We had to bring that in. <laughs> that is the end of our off the shelf segment, which of course means that uh, with our altered show today, since we're not doing a news segment, since we've got Rusty with us, uh, we are going to do our year in the life now. And in this segment, of course, we look at what we deep dove a year ago, and we have 365 seconds to talk about it again. And if we want to go longer, we need to take that sucker off the shelf. So, what did we talk about a year ago? Uh, FMD episode 28, Dunk the Ring, we interviewed another person, Stephen Bonacore, so we have nothing to take oh, off the show. That's right, because he was talking about Space Freaks, yep. which is uh, coincidentally getting some uh, expansions now. Well, there you go. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No game to talk about. We can talk to Rusty Moore. <laughs> it's almost Perfect. like I planned it that way. And then in another year, we're going to have the same problem. So we better <laughs> book a guest for, uh, what would that be, episode... I don't know. 70 Robert. 70 75 What? What were you whispering at me? 70 76ish? 70 I, 75? Whatever. 75ish. We're in a 75ish. This is this is riveting radio. I'm so glad we're talking about this, Jonathan. I know, I know. I'm so glad Rusty. <laughs> this is how you know that we make absolutely nothing and do this completely unprofessionally in the corner of our offices. So, uh, without a doubt, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, uh, Rusty, we're going to be diving deep into your life and making you feel uncomfortable. Ah, <laughs> challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> we will be right back after a short break. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by doing one of the following. You can email us at fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash fmdpodcast. We also have Facebook comments enabled for all our posts at forgotmydice.com. You can also message us or tweet us on Twitter. Find us at forgotmydice. You can join us on Patreon, where we post outtakes and other bonus content. And if you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give Forgot My Dice a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or the Google Store. Lastly, for those of you who want control to sanction the podcast, pick up your shoe phone and call Agent 82. Chief, it's acceptable to get podcasts on our wristwatches. It won't be distracting. I, I just don't even know what's happening right now. Well, it's classified, Jonathan. I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. Oh, we've got to get these things upgraded from the 1960s. And welcome back. It is, of course, now time for our deep dive, but we're not doing a deep dive in the traditional sense today because we're not covering a title. We are covering a human being. And with us, of course, is Rusty Zimmerman. How's it going, guys? Author of uh, so much stuff. I'm looking at your drive through RPG listing right now. It's kind of ridiculous. You are uh, nothing if not prolific. I, I try to be. I try to be. This, this is not a, a bad problem to have. Uh, obviously, you got a lot to say, and obviously, people like to read it. Uh, in fact, in the break, you guys were, or you were telling us a story about um, how you got started with uh, Privateer Press. Yeah, uh, they were actually my, my first professional gigs uh, were back in my, my days of just being a geek, which I totally still am. Uh, but I was writing fan fiction and posting it on the Privateer Press forums. Uh, I was basically writing uh, as a also a history nerd. I was uh, stricken by the, the contrast 
between the realities of the Civil War here in America and the way soldiers wrote about the Civil War in their letters home. So the core conceit of my fiction was this is this you know, this this trencher soldier in this terrible warfare with a single shot rifle, uh, and then here are the letters that he's sending home. And it was this counterpoint, point counterpoint, back and forth from these flowerly flowery letters sending to his mother, telling her not to worry, versus what was actually going on around him. Uh, and I had a lot of fun with him. It was just kind of something to do. Uh, and then I ran into some of the privateer press guys at Gen Con. They were running some games, and we hung out afterwards. And I mentioned I was on the forums. I said, oh, who are you on there? I said, hey, I'm Critias. And they went, holy crap, we, we, we read your fiction. And I was like, no, 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 you're confused. You write the fiction. I read the fiction. <laughs> um, and they, they said, no, like, we read your stuff for fun. Your fan fiction's great, man. So um, there was a really awkward moment there um, of me just totally geeking out. Uh, and then we talked a little bit of turkey, and it turned out that they were perpetually looking for writers for No Quarter Magazine articles. So I, I dove right in there, and uh, I think it was about No Quarter number 16 and No Quarter number 18. So we're talking, it was a while ago, probably 10 years back, if not more. Uh, but I did a couple articles for them set in that War Machine universe, and I uh, had a good time with that. And then I kind of springboarded from there. Uh, another guy that knew me from the forum made a skirmish-scale war game called Spinespur that kind of took off, kind of didn't. Uh, I think it's still going. Never, you know, hit it big, but uh, it was, you know, interesting to work on. And, and that, uh, you know, got me feeling too big for my britches, and that's how I springboarded into Shadowrun, was from those, those first couple of projects uh, to, uh, you know, going, hey, why not? Fantastic. Now, you started off doing fluff, essentially, right? You know, doing all the, the wonderful stuff that makes the world feel so real. But now you're doing game design as well, correct? Uh, a little bit of both. Uh, I, I've largely transitioned back to fiction uh, on the, the existing game lines that I work on. Um, but uh, some friends and I are working on a few projects. Uh, a couple of guys that I know from freelancing and, and other longtime gamer geeks that I've met over the years. Uh, we're working on some some writing, some playtesting, some designing. And of course, anytime you playtest or, or uh, freelance for a game like Shadowrun, there is playtesting involved. Um, you know, you're, you're trying out new rules uh, as you're working on a source book that has new material in it. There's a, a certain amount of playtesting that goes in into that, uh, and some you know rules writing, and of course working on a new edition of a game. Um, I was I was working on Shatter and Fifth Edition for a while. Um, is kind of a game design because you're you know trying to, to update and streamline and whatever and you're definitely tossing new rules in there uh, but yeah I definitely pride myself on going back and forth from the numbers crunching side of things to the fiction I think lately the fiction's been winning uh, I've been transitioning more and more to novellas and novels and stuff uh, but I definitely keep one foot in both camps there's a bit of a different approach there, isn't there? You know, because when you're looking at fiction, you're you're dealing with an existing world, and then you're either expanding it or creating characters to interact with it. But when you're approaching game game design, that's a, that's a very different hat. So, so what's your approach to the two different, you know, kind of silos that you're working within? Of the two, I, I much prefer the the fiction side for exactly what you mentioned. Uh, you are 
you've got an existing sandbox that you're playing with to some extent, and it gives you the start. It gives you a framework uh, to either you know stay within, which I love to do. I love to find little nooks and crannies and and one-off lines of text in a source book, and like turn that into a character background, right? Like just like making a character for an RPG. Um, you know, I just I dig that aspect of it. So you're either doing that or kind of pushing those boundaries a little. But either way, when you're freelancing for an existing game and, and doing tie-in fiction for them, for me at least, always the top of my mind is remembering that it's an existing game. And I got to make sure that the stuff my characters do fits in that game, right? Um, whereas doing the crunch side of things, sometimes you're throwing those rules out the window and specifically writing something that goes counter to the existing rules of the game, you know, or of course, if you're making a, a brand new game, it's, it's kind of a, a frontier, you know, you're, you're making the rules as you go. Um, and in a lot of ways, I think it's the difference between looking at an RPG as a player and as a GM. I think there's a, a fundamental uh, delineation between people that strongly prefer playing and people that strongly prefer GMing. Most people will do a little bit of both. Um, but, you know, there are people that are just wired more for one than for the other. There are some people that love the world building, and there are some people that love fitting a character into a world, you know, and I think that that, that difference carries over to the industry professionals as well. There's definitely some, some different mindsets at work uh, between the big kid line developers that hire freelancers and, and most freelancers. I think there's just a, a mindset shift that I think isn't terribly dissimilar to the difference between playing an RPG and GMing an RPG. Which of course leads me to the inevitable question of which, which do you prefer as a player slash GM? Uh, I much prefer playing. Um, it's, it's just, uh, ironically, I feel like I have more creative control on the micro level than on the macro. It's much easier for me to, to look at and to flesh out one neighborhood or one character or one gang than it is to start from scratch and make the whole setting. Um, it's just a, a difference of scale. And the same is true for me outside of geekdom, uh, you know, working as a historian. Um, I was always much more interested in trying to write about one specific military officer and and his experiences at a certain campaign or, or what have you than trying to write about the campaign as a whole. Uh, again, it's just kind of a, a different perspective, uh, looking at it as, as one character and, and what they have done and what happened around them versus writing about the macro scale, you, you know, fate of nations type of stuff. So that, of course, is another instant question. It sounds like you had a, uh, a background in this in, in terms of uh, historical research. So is that what you went to school for? Yes, uh, I'm absolutely a trained and professional historian by trade. Uh, master's degree, taught history courses at colleges, uh, been published, all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, a couple years ago, I was kind of half-assing both. Uh, 
I was teaching college classes and uh, you know getting published in history books. And then over spring break, I wrote my first Shadowrun novel because I knew I had to get it done over spring break because I was going to give a midterm on Monday and then I had tests to grade. So it was like, you know, I was trying to, to cram in you know, one side job around the other. And, uh, over time I decided I had to stop half-assing both and whole ass one or the other, uh, and trying to whole ass history meant going back and getting my doctorate and then hoping I could find work someplace that my wife could also work as a nurse with her certification and all that stuff. Uh, and whole assing it as a, you know, freelance writer meant going to more gaming conventions. So the, uh, the trade off and qualifications there and the fact that we can survive on what my wife brings in, you know, what I make is, is extra. So we just were like, yep, let's go all in on the writing. So I started to much more aggressively look for freelance projects. I've started to work on, on my own stuff as kind of a side project. I was the, uh, the director on, a book called Strays, which actually uses uh, the Fate accelerated uh, game engine, but it was a Kickstarter that I tried. I wanted to try a Kickstarter. I wanted to learn what it's like to be the guy sending out the contracts to artists and stuff. I wanted to learn layout and and dealing, you know, with the public as the voice of a company instead of just a freelancer. So uh, it was just kind of an experiment that I did. Uh, but the core conceit was you are like the talking magical critters in a Disney movie, right? Like that's that's the, the thing of strays. You are very good dogs yeah, and, and cats and rabbits and whatever. And uh, I was really touched. One of the, the reward tiers I offered was letting backers send in pictures of their pets. And then my artists drew them up as like cartoon animals and they were canonized in the game and that apparently really touched several of my backers especially those that had pets pass away since then you know they're they really enjoyed that and uh i've had several friends that use strays to get their kids into gaming so that was really cool um so yeah it's it's it was a neat experience and it was kind of the first step in me branching out and trying to uh to go much more aggressively into the freelancing and the writing and, uh, you know, stretching my legs a little bit instead of kind of sitting and hoping that contracts would land in my lap. So now sticking with your background for a moment, do you think that you approach a project differently given your training than, than other folks in the industry? I think that we should all approach a freelance project the same, and that's with respect for the existing source material, and you show that respect by doing your due diligence and, and the research. Um, I don't know that everybody does. I don't know that I do the research better than most because at the end of the day, it's it's game books and PDFs, so I'm not sure it's possible to be better at researching those than anybody else. You know, it's not like there's a uh, Dungeons and Dragons decimal system or, or something that we use, but I know for me that's what works, and I feel like it's kind of what any freelancer should do. You need to familiarize yourself with the project 
and and know what was there before you, you know, before you can add to it. You know, you got to know if that setting has gnomes or not before you can write a story about a gnome in it, right? You know, it's it's just some of that basic stuff. And, uh, you know, I think that maybe it shines through a little bit more in my work because I enjoy those Easter eggs. When you're reading one of my Shadowrun novels, uh, 90% of the places and the gangs and and stuff like that that pop up are from old source books in that in that town you know like i'll I'll mention a restaurant or a bar or a club and and i promise you know it's it's there somewhere in a source book from you know 20 years ago maybe but it was there so i definitely try to keep my stuff you know in line with what's there i try to toss in easter eggs to fans that that also know that stuff you know while still trying to keep it approachable to new fans because you know that's that's the other part of the job you want to make everybody read it not just the the grizzled old neck beards you know it's, it's got to be there for everybody <laughs> so uh you try to strike a balance there between you know expressing stuff in a way that makes it welcoming to new readers and and lets them understand what's going on uh but it's fun to toss in uh, a little wink here and there to uh to old school fans that'll you know recognize an npc from an adventure written 30 years ago you know and, and might get a kick out of seeing that guy pop up and and mess with your protagonist a little bit as somebody who always appreciates a, a long-term uh wink wink nudge nudge when i'm reading something that i'm a huge fan of i i, I think that's fantastic awesome awesome yeah it's, it's a good time and, and again it's just kind of a way to show respect for the game that you're writing for now you know instead of trying to uh make it your own by by killing captain america or, or whatever you know you you establish that street cred first by writing a good captain america story that harkens back to classic villains you know that type of mindset i think should apply to freelancers in any industry just in case uh, people aren't familiar with your novels, can you tell us about the Shadowrun novels you've written? Uh, sure. Uh, so far, only one of them is out. Uh, I've had one stuck in editorial and layout and publishing and distribution uh, pipeline hell for about three years now. Um, but I promise it's a trilogy that's on the way. Uh, <laughs> there's a, a prequel novella called Neat, which was kind of testing the waters for full-length standalone Shatterun fiction. For a long time, we've had intro fiction sneak into source books uh, and kind of series of short stories that way. And then we dabbled in what we called enhanced fiction, which was a short story and some game stats at the end. Jack Ryder drives this cool new car, and here's the stats for that cool new car so you can have it in your Shatterun game. Um, <laughs> but Neat was kind of the first testing of the waters for a while in just, just standalone fiction. Uh, um, so that novella got out, and it did very well. Uh, it's got great reviews. I really appreciate it. Uh, the fans that have left it, uh, stars and reviews and stuff on Amazon. Uh, and from that, I was able to get agreement for a contract 
of a whole trilogy of novels featuring that same character. So neat is kind of a an optional dip in the jacuzzi uh, before the trilogy is kind of tossing you in head first into a lake. So they're both out there. The first book in the trilogy is called Shaken, um, and that one's actually available in hard copy and stuff. Uh, neat is only an ebook. Uh, it has since been included into an anthology where we shuffle together several novellas, and, and they've been available at Gen Con and stuff like that. But the the stories follow a guy named uh, Jimmy Kincaid, who is an elf but not much of one. Uh, and he has fun sometimes tormenting the folks that kind of buy into the Tolkien-esque elves are so magical, yada, yada. Cause like he doesn't speak Elven even. He doesn't know that language. He has a Linguasoft chip, uh, that he sometimes plugs into the, the data jack in his headwear. So it's possible for him to fake speaking Elven. Sparethial is the, the language in Shatter, you know, but he's doing it from like a built-in translator software that he plugs into his skull, not from <laughs> believing in not Elven frou-frou magic bullshit, right? As he puts it. So he is very much a uh, kind of hard-boiled noir PI. Uh, he runs his cyber optics with a color filter option so that he sees the world only in black and white, like an <laughs> old school, an old school show. Um, so he sees everything in shades of gray kind of in character as well as in, in real life. Um, he occasionally gets updates in color when his headwear computer recognizes a weapon or something. Uh, but otherwise his whole life is, is, you know, black and white, like an old school show. And he calls people mooks and scales and dames. And, uh, nobody's quite sure if it's from some burnt out persona soft chip, or if he's just, tired of the modern bullshit of 2080 Seattle, you know, uh, or if it's, you know, just kind of a plot hook of his trying to drum up business as a paranormal investigator, you know, or, <laughs> or is that just how he works? Um, so he's this really kind of cool old school guy, um, that used to have very powerful magic. He was basically a trained, like a SWAT combat mage basically. Uh, and then he got attacked by a vampire, which drains your essence. So in his case, that radically broke his magical abilities, but also often in Shadowrun, your essence score is used to reflect your humanity and your kind of holistic balance and, and a bunch of other kind of new age frou-frou from book to book. We've described it a whole bunch of different ways in universe from some people that are very clinical and scientific about it and some that are more spiritual. But however, <laughs> you, however you slice it, uh, Jimmy Kincaid is, is riding the razor's edge of, of being out of essence. So he's this kind of distant, disassociated, bleak, cynical guy in a way that a lot of like cybered up cutting edge street samurai cyborgs are, but without all that going for him. Like he's just that distant and kind of burnt out but it's through what he calls, you know, bad luck. Um, so he's got a lot of those tropes of the kind of hard bitten down on his luck, noir, two fisted detective, but all wrapped in a layer of Shadowrun in that, you know, he's an elf and a combat mage and his best friend is his ally spirit. 
spirit, which is basically like the Shadowrun version of like a, a D&D familiar, right? It's this <laughs> powerful spirit uh, that kind of has all the old magical power he used to have. Uh, and she's also kind of his gal Friday, uh, from, you know, noir stuff. So, um, yeah, there's, there's this fun mixture of Shadowrun stuff with the trappings of some classic noir tropes. And, uh, it's been a good time. It's, it's fun. I'm looking forward to wrapping up this third one. We clearly got to get the second one out the door first, but I've got more <laughs> Kid Kate coming. Uh, I, I've done, another uh, novella of his uh, and those should be coming out at Gen Con 2019 uh, this next novel and this novella uh, and then I also used Jimmy from time to time in source books uh, I actually used him in some of the intro fic that we sneak in uh, in three or four source books I've, I've snuck in short stories of Jimmy uh, but now sometimes he also writes the source book uh, one of the conceits of Shadowrun is that most source book material is written in universe like you're on a forum and reading somebody's essay about this country or this gang or this neighborhood and i've long established that jimmy rubs elbows above his station and knows a couple of the big name shadow runners that post regularly in source books and due to some shenanigans in some of his stories he owes a couple of them favors so they've started cashing in those favors and it's kind of a fun little easter egg if you follow along you can see when he does someone a favor and then that person introduces a chapter that he writes so i kind of do it back and forth and keep the story going and sometimes the publication schedule even plays along uh and and lets it look that way but uh <laughs> but it's fun i uh people really like jimmy he's a lot of fun to write so uh i try to keep that going and uh, i actually started up a couple of kincaid short stories on my patreon too so uh he's a fun dude and uh i try to try to keep it going the Shadowrun universe is particularly unique. And, and how many years have you been write, writing in, in that universe? Uh, I started working for them about eight years ago, I believe. So a generation back in terms of currently released games, right? Yeah, uh, and actually a, a prior edition straight up of this one. I guess like the, the, the question I'm trying to get to here is, how has that universe kind of changed for you? Because it's, it's kind of interesting. I, I went back recently and I was reading a, a first-generation Shadowrun uh, book, and it's kind of interesting because they, like, all the stuff that they were talking about is now in our pocket. Does that make sense? <laughs> yep, a lot of it. So Shadowrun, Shadowrun's kind of had an evolution uh, problem because uh, the world keeps catching up to the universe. Yeah, and, and there are times that we've tried to kind of integrate some of that. I'm actually not a fan of doing so. Uh, I like it better when we remind fans that Shadowrun is an alternate reality, right? Um, you know, the, the awakening happened and magic came back. And, like, you know, when they were writing this in 1989, that was, oh, that's 30 years in the future or whatever. Uh, but, like, we're past that threshold now. Like, like if you open, you know, Shadowrun First Edition and look at And So It Came to Pass, which was, like, that first kind of history chapter, like, we are years within it now in real life. You know, we've passed that threshold. But it was an alternate universe before that anyway, in smaller ways, scattered in various books. You know, there were legal decisions about corporate property rights, you know, and, and stuff like that. It's, it's all been brewing for a long time. So I really dug it when we stuck with that kind of late 80s cyberpunk 
uh, look and feel instead of trying to modernize it. So there's times that I think it's been done pretty well. There's times I think it could have been handled better, but it's definitely kind of somewhere in between. You know, we don't want it to be today plus 60 years. It's supposed to be Shadowrun First Edition's 2050 plus X number of years. Uh, and that is one interesting thing, though, is that, you know, the first edition games were set in 2050, and now, you know, it's 30 years later, and they're set in 2080. So the timeline has been advancing real time, more or less, you know, this whole time. There's publication dates in every book that tell you what the date is in-universe when this stuff is going on. So there's a very clear timeline, and there's been characters that have that have come and gone and, and some that have you know been born and grown up. I'm having a lot of fun now writing the next generation of a lot of these characters. You know, taking some of your favorite NPCs from first edition adventures and going, man, what if this utter bastard had a fucking kid and, and raised him to try to be an utter bastard too? <laughs> you know, and like, like how messed up would somebody be, you know, if they drank the Kool-Aid and, and bought all this hype about this go gang called the ancients that say they're kind of like Robin Hood, but have almost always been like elven supremacists. They're like an elf only motorcycle gang. But like, what if somebody was brought up in that gang and just like bought it and thought that they were like chaotic, good, you know, guys trying to stick it to the man and help protect elves. Like what would happen to the gang you know, if you think about it, now there's a whole generation of these guys growing up, you know, in the fluff that we were reading 30 years ago. So what happens when one of those guys becomes the president of the Seattle chapter of that gang? You know, does the gang start to do good because they're elves and it's not like they die of old age? What do the old guard think of that kid and and this kind of bright eyed idealistic generation that he's bringing up with him? So you can you can do some really cool stuff when you've got 30 years of meta plot. Um, you can you can have fun with that. Uh, I recently introduced a, a very minor NPC uh, in some adventures in Shadowrun Anarchy, which is kind of a, a rules light version of Shadowrun, a kind of rules medium by the standard of most of the, j- the game industry. But it's kind of a narrative twist. But there's a, a minor NPC in some adventures I wrote there that's actually the the in-character kid of one of my longest-running Shadowrun characters. Uh, it was a, a Shadowrun uh, character of mine that is how I met my wife, was the two of us playing these characters together, and he came with a little girl attached. He had some baggage uh, for part of his angsty background of why he was running the shadows, and uh, and now, like, that little girl's all grown up and a military officer and stuff. So, like, you can just kind of have fun, little Easter eggs like that, that uh, one of my buddies... Completely blindsided by guy I hadn't talked to in probably 15 years, he hit me up on Facebook a little while after that book came out, and was was absolutely flipping his lid. He was like, "Dude, how cool is that? I didn't even know you were writing for them, but then I saw this character, and I knew it had to be you." And you know, so you you can have fun with it. You've got 30 years of baggage, but like baggage can hold cool stuff. So it's a it's a neat opportunity and a neat uh, kind of responsibility trying to add to uh, a game that's that fleshed out and that alive and that 
you know, established. So let's talk about that for a moment. After after what thirty plus years on the market, what what do you think it is about the Shadowrun universe that makes it stick around? That makes people continue to want to play in it. This this might not be true anymore because there are so many games out there that I don't think anything can say it's the only one, right? But I know for me, uh, when I first read Shadowrun First Edition, uh, sitting in a like a, a B Dalton or a Walden Books in a in my local mall. I saw this game, and I was like... You just took me way back, by the way. Right? Yeah. Like, um, I am in that mall with you, buddy. Yeah, back in the day, uh, I was supposed to be Christmas shopping for other people, and instead I was was setting aside things for myself that I plan on buying once I got Christmas money. Like, that was totally what I was doing. So I picked this Mama Jama up, and I came into Geekery by way of ElfQuest back in the day, those comics. Like I was reading those at my babysitter's house after elementary school. She had uh, a couple of, of high school kids and, and I was reading their comics, you know, and then I read Thieves World. And then I, I started say, to How read. did you get such a cool babysitter? Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I think maybe they just didn't realize how age inappropriate ElfQuest was for like a nine-year-old or whatever, you know, but uh, I was like, oh, boobies, you know, but, uh, you know, I was reading fantasy stuff from a young age and uh, and then I got into some cyberpunk stuff at a young age and honestly, uh, the G.I. Joe comics by Larry Hama were in a lot of ways like really pretty ahead of their time kind of cyberpunk techno thriller type of stuff. So, you know, that paramilitary stuff from G.I. Joe mixed with ElfQuest, mixed with Thieves World and, and all this stuff. And then I, I saw the Shadowrun book and it had all of that in one place. I was like, wait, 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 wait. I can be an elf who casts Fireball and has an Uzi. Right. And like like nothing else offered that at the time, you know, urban fantasy kind of wasn't the the glut yet that it was. And like there was cyberpunk for that or there was Shadowrun for that, you know. Yeah, it was just this really cool thing that was its own shtick. And and to me, that's still the coolest thing about Shadowrun is that you can play almost anything in it and almost anyone in it. You could totally run Mad Max Fury Road. There are settings in the Shadowrun universe that are basically post-apocalyptic desert wastelands, right? Like, you can do that. You can do a Western. You can do The Expanse. You know, there's there's space stations and, and stuff like that going on in Shadowrun. You know, you can you can do a lot of neat stuff. My favorite example of this, and a game that we might actually manage to do at a con someday, because some of my buddies, the Shadowcasters Network, uh, were so in love with this description. Uh, Shadowrun is the only game where people could show up and everybody could make a different Keanu Reeves from a different <laughs> movie. <laughs> And they all work in universe. Um, They all work. Every single one of them from Johnny Mnemonic to John Wick. I mean, and John Constantine. Holy crap. Could you do a whole party of Keanu Reeves as guys named John? I think you could. (laughs) Um, But but like some of those are the easy ones, right? John Constantine is, is a mage. John Wick is a badass murder machine. You know, you've got Neo from the matrix. Uh, There's, there's guys in Shadow that are totally all about plugging into computers and 
being more powerful in that alternate reality than they are in their own. Um, and, and there's data couriers like Johnny Mnemonic. There's, uh, you know, oh, hold on, hold on, sir. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you. Uh-huh. White-haired Keanu Reeves from Dracula. Yeah, it's totally just a, like a monster hunter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's vampires, there's vampire hunters in Shadowrun. So yeah, you could, you could totally do that. Uh, even <laughs> even uh, you know from from Bill and Ted, like that could totally be like a good natured stoner shaman who summons what are called spirits <laughs> of man. Uh, there's a there's a type of spirit in Shadowrun that instead of being like a a whirling firestorm fire elemental, you know, you can describe your spirits different ways. And there's a type of spirit that's called a spirit of man that has its own kind of special abilities, and he could totally just like have read half a history book and summoned Abraham Lincoln to cast an emotional manipulation on a crowd right like like you could totally do it the, the out of my mind the the burnt out SWAT guy from speed right like, like you could you could you know and, and the bad guy of course could be from man of Tai Chi so the the, the main antagonist could also be a Keanu Reeves uh, you know super rich corporate suit that dabbles in martial arts forgot my dice podcast Keanu Reeves the, source book coming 2019 <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah his yeah, head goon could be the uh, serial killer from the watcher you got and, it. Then, I mean, and then for the lighthearted comedy moments you, you can just pick any rom-com that you want because he's done plenty of those too. yeah he's, he's done a handful of those so you're good to go but yeah you know Shadowrun has room in it for every type of character you want to play I can't tell you how many wannabe Jedis I've seen in Shadowrun <laughs> it, it, but it still works because the magic in Shadowrun is kind of a belief based magic system so if you think that you are a Native American style shaman of dog and that makes you loyal and stubborn and better at detection spells like that's cool this guy that's a trained detective mage that gets those same bonuses the same dogged loyalty and bonus on detection spells but who thinks of it a different way like your magic works the same right so you can totally have people that actually believe that they're jedi and their powers and the spells they select just happen to have those cosmetic trappings so like you see it all the time but like that that works in universe so the same way that the fandom and the hobby has room for people that want to play whatever they want, you know, and whoever they are, like there's room in Shadowrun for almost any character up to and including just straight up fantasy tropes. There are elven countries in Shadowrun that are kind of my jam and you can buy somebody that just grew up in one of those countries and like bought the hype and they call themselves a paladin of the high prince. Like that's a paramilitary rank in some nations you know, but like they could totally talk with the these and the thous and the forsooths and and wear wizard robes there's room for that so there's room for all kinds of fans there's room for all kinds of characters Shadowrun's pretty dope that way but by the way real quick we're, we're gonna do a shout out to uh to our buddy dale rusty tell us a little bit about earth dawn <laughs> well, yes. For those that don't know, back in the day, Earth Dawn and Fasa were, were run by the same game company uh, and written for by several of the same people. They are not any longer. Fasa went under uh, Catalyst Game Labs uh, eventually 
picked up a couple of the licenses or at least licenses the rights from Tops. So they've got some of the old school Fossa favorites uh, like Shadowrun and Battletech. Uh, Earth Dawn changed hands a couple times. Uh, it's with a game company called Fossa now, one of the original founders. But the conceit was that Shadowrun is a cyberpunk world where magic came back and magic rises and falls in cycles. And Earth Dawn was the old high magic cycle. It was what's called the fourth age. The mundane world that we live in now is the fifth world, and Shadowrun is in the sixth world. So you've kind of got a, an offbeat thing of rising and falling mana cycles. So there were a couple of really powerful Easter eggs that would go from Earth Dawn to Shadowrun, like some uh, very long-lived creatures, like dragons. Uh, some of the more powerful ones in Earth Dawn are some of the more powerful ones in Shadowrun. It's the same character. It's the same same dragon with the same personality and same chip on their shoulder, or the same curiosity about humanity. There's a, a big group of immortal elves that started off in Earth Dawn and ended up in Shadowrun. And so there used to be some cool Easter eggs. Uh, the Easter eggs went away for a while. They were never retconned out of existence, but we kind of couldn't do any new ones. But as it turns out, for instance, there's one guy named Russell Zimmerman that's freelancing for both Shadowrun and Earth Dawn right now. Because <laughs> uh, it, so yeah, my my first Earthdawn work recently came out. Uh, I'm officially uh, an Earthdawn contributor. The Passions source book for Earthdawn Fourth Edition came out uh, a month or two or three ago, and it was my first work there. But I've actually got a trilogy of Earthdawn novels on the way. I just turned in the second draft of novel numero uno, kind of relaunching the Earthdawn fiction line. So yeah, the Easter eggs can kind of commence again. I've been talking to both line developers and, you know, we're taking it on a case-by-case basis. You know, if I ask them in advance before I name drop something in Earth Dawn and then, like, a cool artifact shows up in a museum in Shadowrun, you know, like, like stuff like that could start happening again. And stuff like that actually already has. I, I don't know why I'm pretending to talk in hypotheticals. Before I ever <laughs> asked them about it, I started doing that shit. So... Um, <laughs> Because <laughs> yeah. I'm like, ah, what are the odds that both of them are going to read both of these things? Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, there's a few little you know little nods here and there, but yeah, Earth Dawn is kind of like a full on fantasy. Uh, I'd say fantasy with like some horror tropes, but it's you know kind of the full on fantasy precursor to the Shadowrun setting. So it's uh, it's a good time, and I'm definitely in an Earth Dawn mood right now. I'm playing a an Earth Dawn game online uh, that is being broadcast as a podcast i want to say uh but we actually uh, i talked to him and we finagled him into it we've got the the earth online developer josh harrison in that game with us uh and a bunch of the other players are, are shadow run writers and stuff too so we're all just hanging out having a good time so it's fun and uh i'm knee deep in that second earth dawn novel and eagerly waiting for the first one to come out so you definitely hit me in an earth dawny mood <laughs> good, good and look at you building bridges that's so nice yeah yeah so Surrepti- nice when we can play together surreptitiously at first surreptitiously at first hoping the bosses don't notice getting getting permission after the fact 
like, <laughs> like, so, like a grown up. We've got a fair amount of listeners that are probably sitting there wondering, how do I get started as a freelancer? So what, what does that path look like? And in, in, I should say, did it look like that just for you? Or do you think that there's a path there for anybody interested in entering that universe? I think that it's absolutely going to vary from company to company. You know, looking onto somebody face to face at Gen Con and writing fan fiction that might not have worked with any other game company, right? I just happened to meet those guys and they just happened to, to like my stuff. But every company that I've approached, I've approached differently. Getting some work in for Onyx Path on uh, Vampire 20th Anniversary Dark Ages. I did some fiction for that anthology was different than how I got into, you know, Psionics, which was a, a game I wrote for somebody that I knew through Shadowrun that was looking for writers. So I jumped in and did some fiction for them, right? And that was different than how I got into Earthdawn. Turns out I knew the Earthdawn line developer from some forums. We sat together. I have a, a meet and greet every year at Gen Con, and we were just hanging out drinking. And then we realized who one another was. Like finally, one of us flipped our badge the right way. And he went, holy crap, you're Rusty. And I went, holy crap, you're Josh. You know, by then we'd really hit it off. And next thing I knew, I was talking to him about some source books. You know, and that's different than how I got into writing some fiction for Mutants and Masterminds over at Green Ronin. And that was me actually expressly seeking them out because I had just started playing Mutants and Masterminds for the first time, not long before a convention. So I went to their booth to buy some hard copies because I had the PDFs uh, and I wanted hard copies of several of their games because they make a lot of good stuff. And then I was specifically was like chatting with somebody and they mentioned that they were launching a fiction line uh, doing some anthologies. I immediately attacked and, and sat him down and said, when can we sit and talk about this? And that's different than how I got into Satellite Rain, which is a PC game that I ended up being the head writer for and writing a tie-in novella for because I liked their Kickstarter, so I emailed them. Like, that's literally how <laughs> that's I got awesome. that gig. I was feeling a little big for my britches because I was writing for Shadowrun, and by then I had, you know, hey, I got three game companies uh, as notches on my gun belt, and now there's this this Kickstarter for Satellite Rain. Uh, do you remember the old Syndicate video games? Oh, man, those were great. Right? Yeah, Satellite Rain was by one of the original creators of those, um, and he did a PC game several years ago. Uh, it's kind of the spiritual successor to that. You should totally check it out. It's awesome. Man, you're but totally I making just, me want the like uh, yeah. the trifecta of, of that, um, Shadowrun, and uh, G-Police. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Well, I checked the Steam store. Satellite Rain was, was pretty cheap last time I saw it, just saying. But for them, I just saw the Kickstarter. I liked their stuff. And, and I was like, man, I'm going to shoot them a note and just see if they want like some short fiction or something like, like see if I can sing for my supper. Uh, so I PM'd them there on the interface in Kickstarter. And it turns out they didn't have a writer yet for the game. Uh, they, they knew what they wanted it to do. They had programmers and graphic designers and, and the music and, and everything else, but they hadn't 
lined up anybody to do the text. So they were happy to talk to me and included in my contract along with actual earth money was, and also one of everything from the Kickstarter rewards. Oh, Cause I wanted a bad a, gig. Cause I, cause I wanted all that swag, you know? So next thing I knew I was working with a bunch of dudes in their little studio in Australia. And I was staying up all night so that we were up at the same time. And, and we were, you know, working on this game together and I was putting together a novella for him and stuff. So, you know, the only thing that all these stories have in common was that I talked to somebody and, and like, I know that that's difficult for a lot of, of people and a lot of geeks in particular, um, for a lot of really legitimate reasons. Like social anxiety is totally real and imposter syndrome is totally real. Um, but like, please know that those things are your brain shooting the wrong mind juices at you uh, and they're bullshit and everybody is imposters and there isn't a game developer in the world that isn't a giant nerd that's also anxious around other people right so like lean into it man but just you, you gotta put yourself out there and I know it's rough uh, for a lot of people, but like, that's, that's what you got to do. Um, and you can put yourself out there online instead of in person. Uh, I got my first shatter on gig by PMing Jason Hardy, the shatter online dev over on the dump shock forums. I said, Hey, I'm writing some stuff for privateer press. Are you guys looking for any fiction? And he was like, didn't you do these shatter and fan fiction contests? And I said, yeah. And he said, didn't you win every shatter and fan fiction contest you got in? <laughs> and I said, yeah. And he says, yeah, we can find something for you. And a month later, you know, I was writing the intro stuff for the book attitude and, and it's, you know, been a couple dozen products since then. So you got to put yourself out there to some extent. And we live in an era of unprecedented interconnectivity. You know, humankind has never been able to reach out and insult one another or share pictures of cute cats as much as we can do those things right now. So, you know, take advantage of that, check out the social media of a, of a game company you like or a game developer you like you know just just toss them a note and ask what their process is uh the process is different for every game company out there but once you start to do it it gets much easier uh, i started working on wrath and glory the new warhammer 40k rpg because i know a guy like we had talked Shadowrun a lot. He worked on a couple Shadowrun projects um, and then became the line developer, a really good guy named Ross Watson, line developer for Wrath and Glory. And he knows me and he knows what I like and he knows what I can do. And we were talking at a Chupacabra Con right down there in Austin. And, uh, you know, we were having lunch and a beer and he asked if I wanted to write some Space Elf stuff for Wrath and Glory. And I said, Space Elves are my jam. And uh, <laughs> I wrote some Space Elf stuff for Wrath and glory so you know after a while it comes down to knowing people in the industry and your network starts to network for you um, because if you do good work and you know somebody who edited this last anthology when they're putting together a fiction anthology for a different company you know if you turned your stuff in on time and if you did good stuff and if you were pleasant to work with you know, that's the trifecta. You got all three good work on time and not a dick. You're going to get more work in this industry. Um, and, and I've, I've heard a uh, nice dude or a nice person and on time is like, like the real big bottom. <laughs> yeah. 
like the, you know, those two you lines, can, you could just be okay, writer. And those bottom two are like, yeah, hire him. <laughs> I mean, never, like, never forget that, like, Rob Liefeld's a millionaire, right? Like, like he, he, he drew his terrible no foot artwork on time. And he was easy to work with. And like, sometimes that's enough, right? He had a distinctive style, but not everybody likes, but he turned in his artwork on time and he worked with a smile and and like, like, there you go. You know, if you get two of those three uh, of on time, good stuff, not a dick, then odds are good. The industry will, will come back for more. So yeah, you start to start to put yourself out there and, before you know it, your friends will start to put you out there also. So uh, conventions are great places for for hanging out and networking a little bit. They're good times also. Don't get me wrong, they're fun. Go to conventions to game and all that also. But you never know who you might stand next to in line and strike up a conversation with. And uh, before you know it, you're you know exchanging some email addresses and getting job offers get business cards by the way they're cheap uh there's no excuse if you're interested in in this sort of thing whether it's as an artist or a writer or whatever get some business cards printed they're dirt cheap and just keep a couple in your pocket since we're all sweaty fat nerds wearing cargo shorts and geeky t-shirts anyway like use those pockets for something so toss a couple uh business cards in there you know you're halfway there <laughs> All right. So, so last question as we kind of round everything out here because we're running a little low on time. What's the favorite system? I mean, you've worked in so many. You're obviously a fan of so many. So, what's what's the one that you know? Just you love them all, but there's that one that just has that extra little sparkle that just says this. This is me. Uh, it's it's got to be Shadowrun. Um, I, I love a, a lot of other ones, but uh, Shadowrun's how I met my wife. You know, so like that, that gives it a couple of, a couple of bonus points. And it was kind of my, my big plunge into the industry. Yeah. It's got to get the nod. I mean, I, I played my fair share of earth on in my undergrad days 20 years ago. And like, it's totally awesome to write for earth on now. And, you know, of course I played a ton of Warhammer 40 K and it was really cool to have my wrath and glory stuff go to Warhammer 40k, you know, it went to GW and the stuff has to get okayed by them because it's canon. Our little corner of the 40k universe is legit. So the stuff that we're writing for these adventures or whatever, you know, is is there. And like that's awesome, right? Like like but it's not how I met my wife. Mutant Mastermind, super awesome. It's great to make up some new superheroes, you know, but it's not how I met my wife, you know, but so Shadowrun's got that thing where just, it was, you know, it's a game that I played for so long. Uh, it was some of the first game tie-in fiction that I ever read. Uh, I was reading Shadowrun novels before I was reading like Forgotten Realms and Dragonlance stuff reading a lot of those old Shadowrun novels and then holding a physical copy of my Shadowrun novel was was pretty awesome. And even awesome-er, I'm a writer, I can make up words, was when the first Shadowrun anthology I was in came out, having guys like Michael Stackpole and Stephen S. Long, they were asking me to sign their book. 
like like think about that right like like how messed up that is in this topsy-turvy bizarro world um but you know these these guys whose work i grew up reading and playing and loving you know the guy that wrote the x-wing novels asked me to sign his copy of an anthology that we're in together like what you know go tell 14 year old rusty that that's going to happen someday and and i laugh in your face you know <laughs> so uh just cheddar had a lot of firsts for me and you know playing cheddar is how i met my wife so there's a lot of bonus points for it there there's a lot of other games i love there's a lot of Shadowrun stuff that I don't love. You know, there's stuff I could nitpick, stuff I could complain about, stuff that isn't written the way it might have been written if if it was just me. You know, but collaboration is another big chunk of the freelancer gig. So you write what you can write. You know, you, you're only responsible for what's got your name on it. And that's, you know, a big part of it, along with the, the communication and the collaboration and coordination comes just kind of a, almost like the serenity prayer where like you sometimes just have to accept like this is somebody else's game and other people are also writing it so you know you write what you can and that's it well given given how much networking you talked about how do people keep in touch with you and how do they they follow your exploits and more importantly how do they learn about all the cool stuff you got coming out I try to be about as approachable and accessible as I can be uh, sometimes to a fault uh, it's not at all impossible for me to get new followers on social media and they're like damn this dude never shuts up I am certainly findable on both Twitter and Facebook just hunt me down as either Rusty Zimmerman or Russell Zimmerman I absolutely accept friend requests and followers and stuff on there you can find me on several forums uh, rpg.net is probably the biggest uh, and most active one I go by Critias on there C-R-I-T-I-A-S it's an old Roman guy uh, and also a character in the Thieves World books I stole it from both uh, so you can find me on there feel free to say hi and you can certainly find me on Patreon uh, my Patreon account is again called Critias C-R-I-T-I-A-S or I think you can just search for Russell Zimmerman um, uh, that's Patreon, how I found it I look, I'm looking at it right now yeah so <laughs> I just typed uh, in your name it worked yeah I stay pretty busy on Patreon uh, I do two things a month uh, I write short essays about gaming I do kind of game reviews or character generation reviews of games. Uh, if I find a new game, I like to pick at it by making a character and walking people through that that process. So I do those. I post short fiction on there. Uh, you get a big old pile of my existing fiction. And uh, I do video chats every once and again. Every couple months, uh, I schedule a night with a bunch of my patrons to just kind of get together. And, and it's kind of an ask-me-anything type of deal uh, where they can just ask me stuff and I'll tell them what's coming up and so yeah you can keep track of all my my upcoming shenanigans there or on Facebook or on Twitter well there you have it thank you so much for your time Rusty we really really appreciate it and uh, what's what's the next release for you what's the next big one Oh, um, I'd say probably the the next big thing that's going to be coming out is this Earth Dawn novel, uh, Novice, which is the first in this trilogy. Uh, that's my my next big bit of freelance work. I'm working on a couple of solo gigs. I'm hoping to do a Kickstarter for a game called Rider Rally. Uh, in the next few months, it should be all lined up and ready to go. It's a game designed to be uh, a one shot and to be friendly for new players to jump right into existing campaigns. 
games. So it's going to be that game that you play the night that all the rest of your D&D buddies can't make it and you want something quick and easy to do. Character generation takes about five minutes and they fit on a note card. Uh, and you just whip your characters together. Real simple, fun, core mechanics. Uh, a lovably tongue-in-cheek fantasy universe. And hopefully it's going to be the first in a whole series of kind of lighthearted fantasy games. This particular one is kind of like the uh, Sturgis Motorcycle Riley, only for all these different races of fantasy cavalrymen. So it's like a biker rally full of knights and orcish raiders and elven druids on prancing stags and and dwarven militiamen and all the different races and all the different steeds hanging out, getting drunk and brawling for like a week. <laughs> Sounds like the average day with my children. <laughs> exactly, uh, and it's actually, <laughs> and it's also going to be kind of a, a PG to PG thirteen rated. Uh, kind of cartoonish series of games so I'm hoping to also make them fun and easy for people that that do have kids and want to get them into geekery so keep an eye out on Kickstarter for Rider Rally sometime in the next couple of months all right. Well, I hope you come back and visit us again when that comes out. Absolutely. Uh, I appreciate the invite for this visit, by the way. Thanks for having me. Oh, no, no, no. The honor's ours, truly. Actually, actually, we should give a shout-out to my buddy Brandon, because I guess the honor's his. He's the one that said, yes. hey. <laughs> Thank you, Brandon. So, yeah. Thanks, Brandon. <laughs> well, that, of course, brings us to the end of yet another episode of the From Got My Dice podcast. We're on the back half of the first hundred, Robert. It's official. You can listen to one for a whole year every week. Woo. That's right. <laughs> that, is, that is an auspicious, uh, you know. The, uh, I don't know what I'm where I'm going with this benchmark. We, 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 benchmark, yeah. Auspicious uh, hurdle to overcome. Yeah, yeah. We're we're like a DC comic right now because they love that number. Well, I mean, you're going to be starting on your new 52 after this one, right? There you go. Oh, I like that. I like that. Oh. I can tell you're should right. We, should we should we like roll the numbers <laughs> the over and, and start volume two? Like next next episode's yeah. the new number one. That's it'll be right. like it'll That's be right. like comic books. There'll be a new number one, and we can just do it every seven or eight issues. That's right. And every so often, when I have to do one uh, all high on anti-allergy medication, then uh, we'll just say that's the multiverse episode. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. This all one's right. a this one's a what if. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that does bring us to the end of another episode of the Forgotten My Dice podcast. As always, join us on all of our digital domains. We'd love to, to continue the conversation with you there. Rusty, thank you so much for coming out and chatting with us today. We, we really, truly appreciate it. Absolutely, guys. I had a blast. Thanks for having me. Well, that leaves us with only one left, one thing left to do, Robert. Party on. Party on, Jonathan. <laughs> The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elifiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you. Thank you.